Hi, my name is Pete Scazzaro. I wanna welcome you today to the Emotionally Healthy Leader Podcast. Great to be with you. Today's topic is signs, wonders, and emotional health. Signs, wonders, and emotional health. An incredibly important topic. We desperately need a release, a greater release of the power of God, the gifts of the Holy Spirit, uh, signs and wonders as we, uh, as Jesus did and we see in the book of Acts uh, for the global mission of the church, for the maturing of the church. At the same time, we need the contributions of emotional health. So there's healthy, long-term, sustainable uh, release of maturity uh, in the power of God, and that we're building healthy communities that are signs and wonders that point to the beauty and glory of Jesus. So, uh, and actually, on top of that, uh, the the great uh, the greatest stream of growth in the church globally is that of the Pentecostals and Charismatics. In fact, it's the largest, fastest growing part of the church. An enormous wind of the Spirit uh, is sweeping Africa, Asia, Latin America in particular. Uh, and to give you a sense of the scale, according to the World Christian Encyclopedia, the most recent edition, uh, there's now 644 million Pentecostals Charismatic Charismatics. It's 92% of African Christians. And they're expecting at the present rate of growth for there to be 1 billion Pentecostal Charismatics by the year 2050. And so the question is, how do we uh, disciple? How do we manage? Not manage, not the right word. How do we steward this thing that God is doing on such a large scale uh, in our midst today? So let me begin with my story. And then I want to share with you five the five top contributions of emotional health to signs and wonders in our midst. But before I continue with today's podcast, I wanted to let you know about the unique season we are in here at Emotionally Healthy Discipleship. Our global reach has exploded far beyond what we ever thought was possible. It's truly a move of God we never planned for or anticipated. And that being said, we are at a point where the demand... Uh, for the kind of content you're hearing in this podcast has far outpaced our resources to deliver. So for this reason, I want to invite you to partner with us financially uh, and thus allowing us to serve more leaders, especially in under-resourced parts of the world where this message is so critical. So I want to invite you to financially partner with us today by giving at emotionallyhealthy.org slash give. That's emotionallyhealthy.org slash give so that together we can serve the next generation of pastors and leaders around the world. So now back to today's topic, signs, wonders, and emotional health. So a bit of my story before I launch into these five contributions is I came to Christ actually in uh, an Assemblies of God, a Pentecostal church in 1976 at the end of the Jesus movement. You may have seen the movie Jesus Revolution that was released just this past year. But it wasn't until actually we planted our church in Queens, New York City, uh, that actually I really dove into this quite deeply. We were we planted the church next to a large mosque of probably a thousand people or more, a large Jehovah Witness uh, hall, also over a thousand people or more, and then in front of a Santeria uh, storefront, which is basically dealing they're, they're dealing with all kinds of demonic powers and psychics and gypsies and all that stuff coming out of Latin America. And so as we began uh, the church uh, in the early days, in the first few months, uh, I'd be preaching and in the middle of my preaching, demons would, would, someone would hit the floor and demons would start screaming out 
uh, in the middle of my sermon or at the end of my sermon. Uh, and of course, I had no idea what to do. Uh, and it happened one week, and then it happened the second week, then it happened a third week in a row, and really nothing had prepared me for that. Yes, I read it in scripture, but I'd never kind of seen it in such a public place. Uh, but it launched me on a journey, a huge journey, uh, to learn about signs and wonders and deliverance, etc. At that point, John Wimber, uh, who was one of the key uh, developers of the Vineyard Movement, was traveling around the United States. He came through our area here in New York City, uh, learned a great deal from him uh, about signs, wonders. It kind of launched me on a bigger journey to learn about the prophetic uh, and really learning from every deliverance ministry that was out there uh, because we were encountering a lot of demons. And so I began we, began, we began to pray for the sick. We began to see signs and wonders. In fact, there was so much happening at New Life Fellowship Church in the early years that there was a saying that you'd never wanted to miss a Sunday because God was going to do something amazing every week. There was a great sense of anticipation. We actually had two prophetic conferences a year. So I spent a lot of time uh, praying for the sick, driving out demons, engaging in power encounters. And we really did experience a great outpouring of the Spirit um, on those first eight years. Uh, but uh, while there was uh, wonderful things happening on one level, uh, there was also uh, some chaos, a lot of chaos, actually. There were, there were large gaps in our discipleship and formation of people. We clearly were missing something because we were recycling a lot of the same problems year after year. And if you're involved in uh, any kind of Pentecostal charismatic church uh, or ministry on a, on a regular basis, uh, you find that unless there's some serious discipleship, you end up recycling a lot of the same problems. The same people are coming to the altar uh, week after week or month after month. And so even for folks who are ministering in great power uh, uh, in our midst that we would bring people in, uh, there was a reality that very often people that had great anointings were proud or distant or not very teachable, not very good at connecting relationally, often conflict avoidant, not aware internally. Uh, we saw an unhealthy dependence on certain people who were quite gifted and anointed. There's a lot of immaturity floating around. Uh, something was deeply wrong. And what was key at this point as a pastor, I noticed, and uh, we were not developing mature mothers and fathers of the faith. Uh, and I'll start with myself. But it was against this backdrop of something's really wrong. I'll call it a backdrop of frustration as well, realizing the shallowness and gaps in our, uh, in our church that this whole journey of emotionally healthy spirituality or emotionally healthy discipleship was born. Uh, that really is the context of the context of great power and signs and wonders. So we began this long journey of integrating emotional help with signs and wonders, the title of our podcast today. And that was almost 30 years ago. So uh, this has been the first time I've really been able to sit down and say, what really are the key contributions of emotional health to uh, signs and wonders and deliverance and the power ministries that we want to see happen and move in our midst. So I'm going to give you five. Okay. So it's not either or it's really both end. So first contribution of emotional health is this, the priority of character before calling the priority of character before uh, gifting. I'm sorry, the priority of character before gifting the priority of character before gifting. What happened is people who were so gifted, uh, especially we were able to call someone out prophetically, you know, in front of, you know, 500 people or someone able to really move in, in, in miracles or, or deliverances quite quickly and powerfully like Christ. Uh, it was just all inspiring. It was, it's like watching the book of Acts in your midst. And, and so one would just get dazzled by it. And so there was just a, a kind of a tendency to just 
skip over character issues. Uh, but there's a great danger of power without character because it can't be stewarded well. In fact, we see Jesus teaching this in places like Luke 12, where he says, for everyone who has been given much, much more will be demanded. And for the one who's been entrusted with much, much more will be asked. And so when, a, when, when we're been given gifts by God uh, to move in great power, which has such an impact on people, uh, there is a, a corresponding demand for great character to go with it. In fact, we see this principle in 1 Timothy 3 and Titus, where Paul lays out qualifications to be a leader in the church. And he uses this word in the original Greek, which says this, it is absolutely necessary that anyone who is a leader must you know, be, and he gives all these qualities above reproach, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money, managing his own family well, et cetera, et cetera. But it's this word, they must have these requirements. And for Paul says, this is the foundation of the church. And then James 3 gives a very similar teaching where he says, not many of you should be teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that those who teach will be judged more strictly. And so again, there's this, you've been entrusted with much, uh, this kind of influence. Therefore, the character must correspond to that kind of power gifting. So that's why issues of character, we're asking about, we care about people's singleness, their sexuality, their marriages. We care about how they steward money. You know, again, if you can't handle money well, it says in Luke 16, how can you stu- How can you handle the riches of God? Uh, how they, how people deal with conflict and difficulties, how one handles insults or being overlooked. In fact, one of the one of the key tests for desert fathers and mothers when you came to the desert in the second, third, and fourth centuries and wanted to get to know God and grow and to be a holy man or holy woman, the first one of the first things they did was you were insulted uh, or ignored. Uh, it was a test of your character. And so questions of how one handles obscurity or waiting or how one handles being under authority. Uh, and so especially for those of you listening who are quite young, I want to, you know, you may be saying to yourself, you know, I'm the, the folks older than me aren't giving me my platform, my chance to use my gifts. Just relax, be patient. Uh, God's not in a rush. Uh, he's developing your character. And remember, God always, he tests before he exalts. And uh, so the priority of character is important before we talk about the prophetic and power gifts. And it protects us from moving into a false religious self. It protects us from finding our identity, uh, our, our, our identity in our role of whatever our title might be, uh, and not in anything external, but finding our identity rather in Jesus. This whole idea of false self can easily get developed around gifting where we find our self-worth in our appearance or how what people think of us uh, and we end up getting fearful or protective or possessive or manipulative or self-promoting or comparing ourselves to other people. And so, you know, character is about integrity, about not pretending, about being the same person on the inside as we are on the outside, or the same person on the outside that we are on the inside. And character prevents us from thinking that we're ever better than anybody else. Uh, we're any more deeply spiritual than anyone else. And uh, no, because... Uh, we're all broken, vulnerable uh, before God. And uh, it also, uh, character focus protects us from uh, not receiving projection that people may put on us. In other words, people may think we're more than we are and they end up living off our spirituality. But when we're growing in character, uh, we know that we, that's the last thing we want from people. So that's the first contribution of emotional health. It's the priority of gifting, um, I'm sorry, the priority of character before gifting. The second uh, is this, the uh, emotional health grounds us in the priority of deep communion with Jesus. 
In other words, Jesus stayed aligned with the Father because he was habitually in great and deep communion with the Father. He had a life of prayer, rhythms, uh, pulling apart uh, from the crowds to abide in the Father so he could listen and discern the will of God along the way. And so this priority of deep communion with Jesus is key because, um, you know, and a core element of emotional health is a slow down firsthand spirituality with Jesus drawn from the riches of 2000 years of uh, monasticism. So we talk a lot about the importance of silence and solitude and stillness and the rhythm of daily offices through the day and cultivating a rule of life so we keep God at the center of all that we do. Weekly Sabbaths and then sabbaticals every seven or eight years getting away to, so again, just to get divorced from our roles and just anchored in being sons and daughters of the living God. And we're developing rhythms and deep spirituality so we can hear God's voice clearly. Why? Because it's possible to do the works of Jesus uh, and signs and wonders and, and preaching even things and teaching and evangelizing without being in deep communion with him. Because gifts are just given as gifts. And so this applies to everything, not just the power gifts. We forget that Judas uh, healed people and drove out demons and preached the gospel. He was one of the 12. Uh, he was sent out as well. Remember, the, there's a story in Acts 19 about the seven sons of Sceva, who were the, the high priest, and they were out casting out demons uh, in the name of Jesus, because they saw Paul doing that. And, uh, and then finally, one of the evil spirits jumps on them and overpowers them and says, you know, Paul, I, Jesus I know, and Paul I know, but who are you? Because they don't have deep communion with Jesus. They don't have a life of loving union with Jesus, yet they're doing the works of Jesus, and they end up getting beat up, and it's a, it's a mess. And we see this in the Sermon on the Mount when Jesus says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. And he gives this example in uh, chapter 7, verse 22 of Matthew. He says, many will say to me on that day, didn't we prophesy in your name and drive out demons in your name and do miracles in your name? And Jesus, I don't, I don't even know you. And so what's interesting is that you can do the works of Jesus without actually being in intimacy or deep communion with Jesus. Uh and uh, it's fascinating, isn't it? That power can flow through us, has nothing to do with our spiritual maturity or the depth of our relationship with God, although we often mistake it to be. Because the light, our life goal is not power. Uh, our life goal is Jesus. It's to see him face to face, beholding him. Uh, you know, To live as Christ, to die is gain. That I'm a daughter, I'm a son, a living God. And so my whole life is being with him, abiding in him, living in deep communion with him. So there's uh, emotional health contributes to this whole uh, discussion of signs and wonders by prioritizing character and deep communion with Jesus. But then the third contribution, it prioritizes presence or if I may, that is loving people well. You know, one large contribution of emotional health globally has been a rediscovery of this radical connection that true spirituality is loving God and practically loving people. I didn't see this for years as a pastor, uh, especially when I was focusing on signs and wonders and power and gift and, and growth in numbers. But Jesus, uh, all through the Gospels, says there's not one great commandment, there's two, loving God and loving people. Uh, the, and he reverses. It's not just worshiping God. It's getting straight with your neighbor. You know, it, it's, it's getting right with your neighbor. We see that in the Sermon on the Mount, leaving a gift to the altar. Uh, we see him spending time with tax collectors and marginalized and prostitutes and people who don't fit in. Uh, and he, then he quotes Jose and says to, to the Pharisees and Sadducees, you think that loving God is enough, but you're cold, you're judgmental, you're indifferent, you're arrogant. 
Uh, and he goes, God, God desires mercy, not sacrifice. And so he makes the point that the essence of loving God, our true spirituality, is loving other people. Why? Because God is love. And that's why we got this thesis statement that emotional health and spiritual maturity are inseparable, that it's not possible to be spiritually mature while remaining emotionally immature. And so for Jesus, the degree to which we love people is the degree to which we love God. In other words, the way the degree to which we're merciful and kind and safe and approachable uh, and non-judgmental is a degree to which we have intimacy and depth of love with God. This is a discipleship issue. This requires equipping. And uh, that's why in 1 Corinthians 13, the Corinthian church was powerful. If you read that whole book of Corinthians, they were moving in all kinds of signs and wonders. The problem is they lacked presence with each other. They, they lack love for people. And so this famous uh, discussion on the gifts of the Holy Spirit in chapters 12 to 14 of Corinthians, the middle of it is chapter 13, where Paul says, if I speak in the lung, tongues of human beings if I, uh, or of angels, but I don't have love, he goes, I'm just a gong, I'm a resounding symbol. He goes, he goes these examples, if I have the gift of prophecy that can fathom all mysteries, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, and he goes, but I don't have love, he goes, I'm nothing. And if I give all I possess to the poor, and I and and I and I, but I don't have love, it goes I'm nothing. In other words, you can have power moving through you, and you can be spiritually mature. In fact, Paul even goes so far as to say you can have all this great power moving through you, and you're not even being Christian at all. So when we talk about uh, uh, emotional health is the priority of presence or that of loving people well. It means we're going to treat people as vows not as it's. That's using the Martin Buber phrases. In other words, every time we see someone like Jesus, we're present with them, as Jesus was with the Samaritan woman, with Nicodemus, with the widow at Nain, with the rich young ruler whom he saw, and it says he loved him. That love flows out of us. What's really interesting is that in our early years, we had our house was a revolving door for nationally known, sometimes internationally known people uh, who had often very powerful ministries. Uh, but after a couple of years of this, uh, Jerry, my wife, said to me, Pete, please do not bring any more famous people into our house. I am not impressed. Uh, yeah, it was really fascinating because behind closed doors, uh, things were often very different than they were on the stage. So the, as a result, we have people in our churches also who have been Christians for decades who still resolve conflict like they're you know, 8, 12 years old. And so the questions we always are asking in emotional health about presence and am I, am I loving well is, am I fully present to the people I'm with or am I distracted? Uh, am I, you know, basically, can I listen to you or is, is my mind in the heavenlies all the time? Can I be loving or am I judging? Am I open or closed to learning from the people around me? And a critical contribution of emotional health is I want to be growing in love for people first before I want to be growing in story, in, in my giftings of power. It's possible to be so into God and his power, that is signs, wonders, prophetic healings, etc., looking for the next anointing or expression of God's power and not be truly present, not actually seeing the people in front of us. We want the power of God to touch them and make them better but I don't actually see them. I know because I did it for years. Um, and we end up 
despising or overlooking God's work in the mustard seed, in the small, in the ordinary, in the broken, in the vulnerable, in the weak. That's why let me invite you to, if you've never read uh, this free downloadable ebook we've got called Church Culture Revolution, the six-part vision of a healthy church culture, let me invite you to please download that ebook. It's at, at emotionallyhealthy.org slash church culture. That's emotionallyhealthy.org slash church culture. And it talks about these six, this six-part vision, whether it's integrity and leadership, beneath the surface discipleship, healthy community, passionate marriages and singleness, every person in full-time ministry, but that... Uh, we've got to create healthy culture so that there's presence, there's love flowing, and more signs and wonders to the world. All right, emotional health contribution number four. So it's not just character priority. It's not just a priority of deep communion with Jesus, not just the priority of presence. It's the priority of learning new relationship skills. It's actually the secret sauce of EH discipleship. It's quite revolutionary. It's why the Emotionally Healthy Discipleship course has two parts. Uh, developed well over 30 years as we were seeking to unlock how do we help people apply scripture into everyday life to love well? How do we move people from emotional infancy into emotional adults, men and women? And we just had underestimated the depth of bad habits people had to sustain long-term Christ-like change. And so we developed these eight skills that are that are actually part two of the Emotionally Held Discipleship course. That And actually, the expanded edition uh, is coming out in just a few weeks. And that's why the discipleship course has two parts, Emotionally Spirituality and Emotionally Healthy Relationships. And that it, you need the whole thing for you know deep transformation. So anyway, you want to get that new workbook that's coming out uh, and videos uh, in just a few weeks. It's a fantastic update. And so again, back to 1 Corinthians 13, right? I mean, there's a... Uh, there's a there's a resistance naturally, just like there was in Corinth, when there's great power and gifting, and I know I had it, to actually do skills to grow in loving well. It just doesn't seem as spiritual. I, I would spend all day in prayer in the Word. It was a lot more spiritual than working at resolving conflicts. Uh, I'd much rather pray for people. Uh, and, uh, and in a sense, grow in my prophetic gifting than actually be present or listen to people who are saying what they uh, didn't like about the way I was behaving. I didn't want to feel sadness. And so what EH, what most of these skills do, and why this is so important, is it frees us from living compartmentalized lives. Uh, it's actually, it protects us from a type of Gnosticism, which has been a, a church heresy from the very beginning 2,000 years ago. It's found in every generation. It's this super spirituality that was also in Corinth, because speaking in tongues of angels, but we're not grounded on earth. It was my focus in my early years. I didn't do emotions. I didn't do my humanity of limits. Uh, I, I was in deep freeze internally. I didn't know how to connect with people or attach to people. I had a distorted theology that disconnected my emotional world from my spirituality. And what skills are, are a corrective. It's a balance to this kind of Gnostic super spirituality. And a great temptation, especially when we get involved in signs and wonders and the power gifts of God, is to exalt the spiritual component of life over the emotional or the physical, or the relational, uh, even the intellectual. And we forget that Jesus was fully human and fully God. In fact, one of the early church heresies uh, was that Jesus was not fully human. And so that was uh, condemned in the church council of 451 at Chalcedon, where the church declared, declared Jesus is fully God and fully human. 
And so that God's love gets fleshed out in these skills, this priority of learning new skills to love well. Nobody gets a pass to be weird because they're gifted. Listen, there's so many wonderful testimonies, incredible testimonies, uh, when uh, ministries that actually maybe focus on the prophetic or signs and wonders integrate emotionally healthy skills. Uh, one ministry called Streams, Ministry International, led by John Thomas, has done a lot of work over the years integrating skills. And uh, we've talked often about emotion, emotionally healthy prophetic. And so here's some of the testimonies uh, out of their ministry. Uh, emotional health, quote, has changed those in prophetic ministry by creating a greater sensitivity to the Holy Spirit through a greater clarity of what they're hearing. Is it from God or from my own self or past? Uh, another quote from their testimonies that weakness and gro- weakness is celebrated. And progress is more value than perfection. It allows for less defensiveness and makes difficult conversations more normal. Uh, Our core team has seen growth in the way we address conflict in a healthy way and we don't avoid issues or people. At a recent elder meeting, an elder mentioned how he felt genuine love for people in the church and hadn't experienced that or expected that before in the church. And then finally, the value of marriage and family was another testimony that is self-care as a normal part of our conversation and the concept of marriages being a prophetic act communicating god's desire of love for each person is talked about regularly and so there's actually eight skills that we've developed over a 21 year period from stop mind reading to genogram your family uh, to explore your iceberg that is becoming aware and present with yourself so you can be present to other people if we can't enter our own world how are we going to enter other people's world uh, incarnational listening climb the ladder of integrity and of course clean fighting uh, versus dirty fighting these are all skills one's got to learn and be discipled into and so learning skills is a must to stay grounded especially as we exercise greater and greater power of ministry and then final, the, the, the fifth and final contribution of emotionally health health to this discussion or building uh, a ministry committed to the power of God and signs and wonders is this. It's the priority of a deep spiritual discipleship for every person. Now, over the years, uh, here is what we saw that uh, people would have great power encounters with God. They, they would, in a sense, have an infusion at a conference or through prophetic prayer. Uh, but then over time, they'd kind of fall back into unhealthy habits. Uh, they'd go home to perhaps relationships that were poor, stressed, getting stuck, overloaded, conflicts remained unresolved. Uh, in fact, I can remember specific people coming forward to the altar for prayer uh, month after month after month, uh, sometimes year after year, uh, or actually uh being engaged with deliverance with certain people and then they're they're still not getting better they're better temporarily and briefly but then it seems like we're right back where they started from or sometimes even worse and uh and so something was seriously wrong and jesus actually talked about this in matthew 12 where he talks about when an impure you can cast a demon out of a person when an impure spirit comes out of a person that impure spirit goes out seeking rest but then it says, I'll return to the home I left. I'll return to the person that I came out of. And it finds the house unoccupied, swept clean, and put in order. In other words, a person has a demon come out of them, but they haven't filled their house. And then it says, that demon takes seven more other spirits, more wicked than itself, and it goes in to live. And then Jesus says, the condition of that person finally is worse than when they started. And, uh, and so the point is, we've got to fill the house with Jesus. We've got to do serious discipleship. Uh, in our ministries, if we're going to see people mature and grow into mothers and fathers of the faith. 
signs and wonders without robust discipleship, we end up recycling the same old problems year after year. Jesus didn't just have the 12 and then the 70 go out and exercise power and authority uh, in Luke 9 and Luke 10 uh, to heal the sick and drive out demons and preach. He spent the bulk of his time discipling them slowly. He gave his best time, in fact, three quarters of his time, especially towards the end of his ministry, to basically invest in their serious discipleship. If you, The more you think about it, God's got three years on earth in the person of Jesus, and to spend that much time discipling the 12, that's unbelievable. So as you have, in a sense, a refreshing wind of the Spirit sweep over your life and the power of God visit you, and I've had some incredible encounters with the Holy Spirit, uh, remember this, the power is given to you so you can get up and follow Jesus, that you can go to the cross and die because that requires power to hang on the cross and let everything go, lose your life that you might find it. There are no exceptions. Everybody dies. Uh, and so everything rises and falls on equipping people to follow Jesus as disciples. That's why we have spent the last 28 years uh, developing the EH Discipleship Course Part 1 and 2 in this training vault with all these free materials because we want churches and ministries to put a stake in the ground that what it means to be a Christian is to be a disciple, a follower of Jesus, and that that takes energy. This is my life. And so we want a, a disciple. That's so what we've done is create a discipleship that drinks deeply from the global historical church and not one particular tribe or movement. Uh, that's free from the Americanized Western Jesus of the 21st century. So people are being introduced to dark nights of the souls and valleys. Now sufferings are key transformative moments in our life for God to meet us. And God's gifts of limits and how they break our will and the centrality of discovering uh, the treasures of grief and loss and how God meets us there and how we've got to break the power of our past going back three to four generations and learn to live in this new family of Jesus. And then Sabbath and silence and the list goes on because we've got a whole different scorecard for success in this new family of Jesus. That's why deep discipleship is so key. So again, we're building radical prophetic church ministry cultures that are signs and wonders in the world that by our very existence, we point people to Jesus. Again, let me invite you to download that free ebook at emotionallyhealthy.org slash church culture. And the ebook's called Church Culture Revolution, a six-part vision to create a culture that deeply changes lives. So I want to pray and bless you uh, this day that as you seek spiritual gifts and Jesus' power so you can serve the people around you, that at the same time you may mature in character, in deep communion with Jesus, in your presence of loving people well, in your skills of actually loving those who are difficult around you, and that you too may just be in that journey of deep discipleship with Jesus and being transformed bit by bit from glory to glory. So I bless you. Have a great day in Jesus' name. Amen.